This is the Yada Yada Podcast, where we get to the heart of the Christian sexual ethic with biblical truths and real talk about sex, purity, and relationships. We're your hosts, Ashley and Amber from Across My Heart Ministries. Welcome to episode eight of Yada Yada. Today, we're going to be talking about how true love still waits. We're going to be looking at some practical aspects, answering some questions like why living together before marriage is not a good idea, Uh, looking at boundaries in relationships, kind of looking at that age-old question of how far is too far. And whether or not that's even the right question to be asking. (laughs) Yes, whether that is the right question to be asking. Uh, And yeah, just having that that conversation today. When we talk about love and sex, it's really important to understand that these two things are not one and the same. There can be mm. sex that is that is unloving. And you can be in love without having sex. And so understanding that um, that tension between the two and how the two work together. Ideally sex would come after the covenant of marriage, when you are pledging your love, your whole life to another person. Sex is designed to follow that in the Mm -hmm. way that God set it up Mm -hmm. and designed it. And we've talked about in other episodes. And when we think about romantic love, when we think about love, you know, the world tells us, well, if it feels good, just, just do it. You know, if you love someone, you're in a relationship with them, then just have sex with them. That's the mm-hmm. that's well, the world's solution. And they say that's loving, like, you know, to show your love for somebody, be close to them. Mm-hmm. But we need to know what the biblical definition of love actually calls us to. And I think there's no better passage to look at than 1 Corinthians 13. Yeah, the love chapter. <laughs> we'll see that sex is actually only loving when it's in marriage. Amber, would you read that passage in 1 Corinthians for us that's so famous? Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It's not self-seeking or easily angered. It keeps no records of wrong. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. So let's break that down. Just looking at a few of those statements. Love is patient. That right there speaks to how true love waits. Because love understands the value of of waiting. While premarital sex is it's impatient. And it actually says by its very nature that the person you love is is not worth the wait. The statement, love does not dishonor others. Premarital sex dishonors the temple of the Holy Spirit by disobeying God's commandments, by living according to your own ways instead of his design. And it also dishonors your, your partner's body as well. Mm. So it's dishonoring not only to your, yourself, not only to the temple of the Holy Spirit that's within you, but you're also dishonoring someone else. Mm-hmm. It's not just a sin against your, yourself and your body. It is a sin against someone else. Mm. The statement that love is not self-seeking. 
premarital sex is ultimately focused on self-pleasure, idolizing what you want over and above what God wants. It puts self before God's ways, seeking your own desires regardless of what God commands in his word. And so this is not loving. Sex outside of marriage is not loving because it's ultimately self-seeking. And the statement, love never fails. Think about premarital sex and the way that it destroys relationships. It doesn't withstand breakups. It is not a recipe for a lasting relationship. It has never proven to be the thing that keeps a relationship together. Mm. In fact, it creates drama in relationships outside of marriage. So the bottom line is that having sex with your boyfriend, while you might have feelings of love for this person, sex with your boyfriend or girlfriend, if you're a guy listening to this podcast, it ultimately isn't loving. It's actually the opposite of loving because it is a a self-seeking, self-focused, selfish behavior. Mm -hmm. And this is... I mean, we're, we're just kind of coming right out with it at the beginning of the episode because I think it's countercultural to say this. Mm-hmm. Every single rom-com, movie, TV show that you watch sends the message that true love and fulfillment is found in sexual exploration mm-hmm. and your self-satisfaction. Well, and you never – there's not a romantic comedy out there or really romance movie out there unless if it specifically has a Christian bent to it, that ever sh- ever shows that delaying, that gratification, that waiting, is it really even an option? Right. Or something that could be a good idea. It, sex, oh, oh, even if someone, even if in a movie, it's not like after the first date, maybe it's after three dates, or maybe it's a little while into the relationship or whatever, it always is there. Yeah. Waiting isn't ever. The world's message is kind of like, in order for me to show you that I want you so much, like I got to have you now. Mm -hmm. Or it's like, it's almost like I don't value you because it's like, I can wait. It's it's so twisted. It's so opposite of God's intention that the truly good things in life are worth waiting for. Mm -hmm. And we live in an instant gratification culture. And so this isn't just, you know, associated in sexuality that we see portrayed in rom-coms and media. It's its just the way we operate from social media to technology in general, that we can have anything we want when we want it. And we think that that shows the value we place on it. Because it's like, I've got to have it now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, a sense of urgency. And I think that for some people, there genuinely is that concern because society has kind of created this sex being such an important factor in a relationship that it is satisfying, uh, people want to know if they're physically compatible. Like that's a checklist that has to be. Yeah, it, it's sex is viewed as just this physical thing, this thing that just happens between bodies that pleasures us. <laughs> that it's like if it's not everything I want it to be, if it doesn't right. bring me the level of pleasure I want it to bring me, then that person isn't right for me. Mm-hmm. It's not seen as this journey that married couples go on as they 
learn about each other as they become one as they become one build that, yeah. that intimacy and that depth in their relationship on the honeymoon night is gonna be different than two years into the relationship five years into right. the relationship 10 years into the relationship it should get better you know? and if you're just basing your experience or your love for someone based on a sexual encounter it's then a very shallow way of looking at a person it's very shallow it basically boils down to how can your body pleasure my body mm. it doesn't look as at a person as a whole person and i think you know speaking into these fears that people have or their motivations for having premarital sex i think we have to recognize that that some people think that they'll lose the relationship if they don't mm. and so they're almost guilted into yeah, it that's true that's very true but that's not love that's that's emotional manipulation. I mean, that yeah. real love would never manipulate someone's feelings for your own benefit mm-hmm. or make someone feel like they have to bend to your terms in order to be safe in the relationship. Mm-hmm. Real love always seeks what's best for the other. It puts others' needs before your own. And, and real love thinks long-term. It considers not only your own future, but the other's future as well. Real love doesn't put other people in damaging situations. But that's exactly what premarital sex does. Not only does it create that drama that I talked about, you know, emotional drama, emotional manipulation in the present moment, but it can also create future um, baggage for uh, someone to unpack in their life. Regret you know, unforgiveness, things that that can be healed, that can be forgiven. But take work. Yeah. And will show up later in life if you don't deal with them now. Mm-hmm. And so this is just a reminder for anyone listening to our podcast, any episode, if we talk about something and you ever have that sense of, of hopelessness thinking, oh, it's too late for me. It's not. Mm-mm. But you have to deal with it now. Mm-hmm. Because the longer that you hold on to your past, the heavier mm-hmm. it's going to feel. Yep. And you can release it to God. You can be forgiven. You can start today to walk in purity because it's it's Christ that makes us pure. And purity is not something we can lose. We can lose our virginity. We can mm-hmm. make mistakes. But purity is only God's to give. Mm-hmm. And he will make us pure regardless of where we've been or what we've done. Mm-hmm. But you've got to surrender it. you got to surrender it. You've got to unpack it. you got to do the work. And don't keep putting it off because Mm-mm. it's just going to keep getting heavier. And why would you want to give someone else that baggage to unpack? Mm. That's not loving. Because when you're in a relationship with someone, boyfriend, girlfriend, even engaged, Amber can speak from this. Mm. experience of having a broken engagement just because you have a ring on your finger yeah doesn't mean you're going to marry the person yep and there are so many people who will begin to have sex when they're engaged because they're like oh well it's almost it's pretty much a done deal now (laughs) yeah yeah now you know this is the person i'm gonna marry so we're all set and that is not the case until you're standing there at the altar actually making and actually entering that covenant Can sex be the physical sign of the covenant that seals your marriage? Mm. And that's how sex should work. It should be the physical sign of the covenant that you're entering into. Mm -hmm. So if you don't just want sex, but you want love, if you don't just want shakav, 
but you want yada, then you have to wait for marriage. Yep. Bottom line. Yada is the covenant sex that we have talked about in almost every single episode. That word has come up. It's the name of our podcast. And it is found within God's design of covenant love in marriage. Yep. A survey of 100,000 women written about in Christianity Today actually linked early sexual experience with dissatisfaction in their present marriages. Happiness with the level of sexual intimacy that they have and the prevalence of their low self-esteem. But when we cherish someone, when we treasure someone, we say that you are worth the wait. That's true love. Mm-hmm. And that's the kind of love that I think echoes and mirrors 1 Corinthians 13. Mm. It's patient. It's kind. It honors the other. It's not self-seeking. But I'm going to play the devil's advocate here for a second. What if, what if, Two people agree to the terms of a sexual encounter. There's a little word for that in our world today. It's called consent. Maybe you've heard that word. It's a, it's a buzzword in sex education. Our world will tell us that consent is the ultimate arbiter of sexual ethics. That there's no right or wrong as long as you are comfortable with what's happening. But I'd like to challenge that notion and say that consent falls short of the covenant love that we were designed for. See, mutual consent is in the world's moral terms. It is the absolute basic minimum that is required for sex. If you consent to it, you can do it. But in order to properly honor the human dignity of another person. It can't just be about what we want or don't want to do. There has to be a higher moral standard that is governing our sexual ethics, or we will just devolve into animalistic creatures. I read a disheartening article in The Atlantic about sadomasochistic pornography. And in it, the author argues that We should be sexually free to perform any sexual act, no matter how degrading or inhumane. And I will not, I cannot even describe the scene that took place that they were filming for this pornographic material. The the article even was, was far too explicit in detailing the way that this woman was treated, the way that she was being abused in the shot. But... Because she consented to it, the the directors, the producers, they attested that it was morally defensible. No, 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 no. I cannot get on board with that. None of us should should be able to get on board with that. Because what they were doing was degrading the image of God in mm. this woman. Mm. This woman made in the image of God was degrading herself, was degrading her body. Alan Jacobs, who he's a literary critic, um, and he was responding to the article about this production and saying that people like the director or the actress in this pornographic film, whether they realize it or not, they're uncivilized to the point that they have basically reduced 
content to, or they've reduced civilization to the single element of consent. Mm. He, he said, quote, you can have whatever you desire. So if you choose hell, then we will call it good because it's freely chosen and brings you pleasure. Wow. He said the result is chaos and nihilism. Yeah, we, oh man, we see that in our hedonism and our individualism. We're living to please ourselves. We are not living to love the other, but we've become, we've, we've become the freest, wealthiest people in all of history. And we use our liberty to degrade one another and willingly choose to be degraded or to just be bystanders watching it all go down. Or worse, being entertained by it. Yeah, we think that freedom is found in throwing off any and all boundaries. Mm -hmm. That all we need is to choose to do something, just consent to it, to want to do it, and that's what makes it good. Mm -hmm. Nothing could be farther from God's truth. God has good boundaries within his design that help protect us guard us, but also help create human flourishing. Yeah. His boundaries aren't, a lot of times they're viewed as anti-pleasure, like God not wanting us to have a good time, particularly when it comes to issues of sexuality. It's like, God doesn't want me to have fun. He doesn't want me to experience pleasure, but they're not actually anti-pleasure. They're pro-body. Yeah. They're pro recognizing the value yes. that your body has and it's worth waiting for waiting yeah it's worth waiting to experience that pleasure in the right context because it's in the so context good. of flourishing we don't want to exploit it we don't want to degrade it no god doesn't ever there's nowhere in the bible where i mean sex is celebrated <laughs> in the right context. You know, we've talked yeah. about that. Songs of Solomon, uh, even in uh, the Proverbs, delight, you know, the young man is told to delight him- himself in in the uh, in the wife of his youth, you know? Yeah. <laughs> it's like not ever viewed as like this, this anti don't enjoy yourself. It's just enjoy, it's to be enjoyed in the right context. It's not anti-pleasure. Yeah. It's pro- waiting worth yeah. waiting for because it's a type of pleasure that isn't cheap it no. isn't you know quick satisfaction that then devolves into degradation it's true pleasure that results in human flourishing that results in a better life in true fulfilling life and we see that even in um the institution of marriage. Hmm. God is the one who created marriage. Mm-hmm. Marriage isn't an institution that man came up with. It's not a government organization. It is created by God. Mm-hmm. And marriage has boundaries that are meant to build society. Mm. That that societies would be built by a husband and a wife that are committed to one another in in covenant love and build a family that then creates and builds a society in upbuilding ways. Hmm. 
marriage has boundaries on our behavior, certainly. To have sex with your spouse and no one else. To take care of your children. To stay together until death do you part. But we can see that all of these things are good things found within the covenant of God's design. That if two people agree to a sinful behavior, it doesn't make it right. (laughs) No. So consent is not enough. And I think in the same breath, you can say commitment isn't even enough. No. According to a Pew Research uh, in 2020, the majority of Christians, 57%, say that sex between unmarried adults in a committed relationship is sometimes or always acceptable. So how can we be upset about the loosening sexual ethic of our society when we ourselves as as believers have let sin creep into the doors of our churches? How can we really like look at culture in judgment <laughs> and right. when we are we are reflecting that same that same ethic? We are, we are believing the same lie. And you know, it's actually one of the pet peeves of Gen Z. Mm is the hypocrisy within the church that we want to say LGBTQ plus and issues surrounding homosexuality are sins, but we're not willing to point the finger at ourselves in our church walls and say that cohabitation is mm-hmm. sinful according to the Bible. Mm-hmm. Um, divorce has very specific parameters in God's mm-hmm. word. And we're not willing to, you know, in, enforce those in our um, churches mm. and give that direction. And and we've become very secular and worldly when it comes to... When it's convenient or doesn't seem to be as bad yeah, in our minds. And so Gen Z has been calling out... I'm like, I'm, yeah, I'm very proud of Gen Z for calling out that hypocrisy, but... Just because we've failed in that area doesn't mean we should continue to compromise in areas of sexuality. No. What we need to do is we need to hold ref- ourselves to a higher standard. <laughs> yes, we need to bring ourselves back to yeah. God's design mm-hmm. and live with conviction. Mm-hmm. Hebrews 13.4 tells us that marriage should be honored by all and the marriage bed kept pure. For God will judge the adulterer and all the sexually immoral. It shouldn't also surprise or it, it shouldn't be surprising just based on everything that we have been talking about in all of our other podcast episodes and um, even in today's episodes that Pew also has found that married adults have higher levels of relationship satisfaction and trust than those living in an with an unmarried partner. Yeah, because it creates that safe space. It creates that space to know and be known. Hmm. To have yada covenant. You have that promise that you have made between each other, that covenant Mm -hmm. that's been made between each other. It's not just about your pleasure. Mm -hmm. It's about knowing. Or your commitment. Yeah, or your commitment. (laughs) You're just like, take my word for it. I'll stay with you forever. Yeah. You're doing with your life what you're doing with your body. You're giving your whole life and your whole self. Yeah. And that's what the covenant of marriage is all about. So again, we see that the old saying is true. 
that true love still waits, that we're willing to wait for the things that we value, that waiting teaches us to honor the other. We learn self-control. We learn to put our emotions and our feelings and our sex drives in check. And this is something that we're going to need not just before marriage, but after marriage as well. That faithfulness, that fidelity that we practice before the altar will be a training ground for a lifetime of lifelong faithfulness and fidelity to your husband and wife, husband or wife. First Thessalonians 4:37 says, "It is God's will that you should be sanctified, that you should avoid sexual immorality, that each of you should learn to control your own body in a way that's holy and honorable, not in passionate lust like the pagans who do not know God, and that in this matter no one should wrong or take advantage of a brother or sister. The Lord will punish all those who commit such sins." As we told you and warned you before, for God did not call us to be impure, but to live a holy life. Another great quote by Dr. Julie Slattery, sexual intercourse as the most intimate form of physical union is meant to express the ultimate form of personal union in marriage. You should never become naked and vulnerable physically until you're ready to become naked and vulnerable with your whole self. And isn't that what marriage is for? Mm -hmm. To say, I am ready to enter into a covenant with another person, with my whole self, with my whole life. It's this idea that we are giving our whole self to somebody and our whole life to them at the same time. And we have to keep that in perspective when we're having the conversation of true love waiting, of, of saving sex for marriage. Hmm. And if you're a parent listening to the podcast and this is a conversation that you're trying to have with your kids, you know, one of the things that we talk about on our youth retreats and we tell girls and, you know, sometimes we're not their favorite person because we say this, but we <laughs> remind them that the boy you like right now, you, you probably won't end up marrying. Yeah. Like you don't know where this middle school crush is going to lead. Mm-hmm. And even if you're dating someone in high school, in college, anyone dating at any age, you do not have a guarantee yeah. of where that relationship is going to end. Mm-hmm. And so we have to keep that in perspective if we're going to live like the Proverbs 31 woman who says, you know, she brings him good, not harm all the days of her life. Like your husband is out there somewhere. If you're going to get married someday. Like he's out there and how can you bless him even now as a single person? Like one, how can you do that? Well, one of the ways is by praying for them. Yeah. I think that's a, a fundamental way. Actually, I started praying for my little boy's future wife. He's only two and a half years old, but I've started to pray for her. Maybe she's not even born yet, but I pray for her family. I love that. And that's actually a really tangible item for anyone listening to this podcast. If you are a parent, like Mm -hmm. you can also be praying for your child's future spouse. And I I remember praying for my future husband before I met him, before I knew who he was as an eight, nine-year-old little girl, as a teenager. And I can remember the day that it occurred to me that I may very well be praying for Joseph. 
it was when I was in college and we were dating at the time and I was walking our campus at Cornerstone University and I was saying the prayer that I would always say and it would go something like, you know, Lord, be with my future husband wherever he is right now, like be present with him in this moment. And I would often think about or picture like what he could be doing in that exact moment, wherever he was in the world. And it, it just like popped in my head that I knew Joseph was studying for his exam. Mm. And so I paused right then to pray for him too, to pray for him studying for his exam. And it just like the two collided. And I thought, wow, could I have, have been praying for him this whole time? Like, Aww. is this the man that I'm going to marry? <laughs> and were all these prayers <gasps> for him? Was I was I blessing him with all these prayers this whole time? And so I, I would say that's a very tangible way that if you're someone who wants to get married, if you have a child who wants to get married, um, there's no guarantee that the person they like right now is who they're going to marry. But they can bless their future spouse by praying for them now. And what are some other ways? I think being intentional about the type of attention that you are seeking from the opposite sex. Mm. So obviously, if you have if you have interest in a particular person, you're going to try to talk to them more. Yeah. You're going to maybe get a little more dressed up because you want them to notice that you're pretty. <laughs> uh, but there's this general attitude sometimes women have towards men where they just will flirt because it yeah. makes them feel good or they flirt because they like the sense of control it gives them or they present themselves, particularly on social media, in certain ways to just get affirmation from Validation. men. And this even is in married women too. Yeah. Um, and so just seeking that type of attention from just in general, you know, men in general, or the opposite sex in general, if you happen to be a guy listening to this, uh, is not honoring to your future spouse. Um, like I said, it's not it's not a bad thing to seek a little extra attention if you genuinely are interested in someone and you want something to go someplace. But just to have that general attitude of of flirting and trying to get attention is not honoring. Right. And that's true regardless of the status of your relationship. Mm -hmm. Like you said, for someone who's single, for someone who's married, um, if you're listening to our podcast and you're thinking about, well, how can I talk to my children about saving sex for marriage, that true love waits. And keeping the very – and it's, it's practical, but it's the very real perspective that this person I'm in a relationship with, if I'm dating or I have a crush on them, there's a very real possibility that they're someone else's future spouse. Mm -hmm. And so how can I honor them and – their future husband and wife because they're not they're not mine they don't belong to you <laughs> yeah and and honoring them as an image bearer of god with their own human dignity and purpose in this life and not just for your own benefit mm -hmm. i think that relationships very quickly devolve into the type of self-gratification and selfishness that we talked about earlier, instead of truly honoring the other mm. with an others-focused love. I mean, the very question that we teased at the beginning, the very question that every teenager wants to know, everyone in a relationship asks, how far is too far? Mm -hmm. That question is actually better asked, 
how much can we get away with doing? Yep. <laughs> because that's really what you're trying to get down to, right? How close can I get to the line without crossing it? You want to know what constitutes as sexual touch, you know, what isn't, what's sexual sin, and how far can you can you push it? Like, I mean, it even puts people in the position of literally Googling, like, am I still a virgin? Yeah. Like, does this technically meet the requirements? Because I've been pushing it so far and trying to just seek out satisfaction and pleasure through physical encounters that I've lost sight of what it means to truly honor my body, the temple of of the Holy Spirit, the body that God has given me, and the other's body. Mm. That I've lost sight of of what God really wants. Mm -hmm. That our physical bodies matter deeply to the gospel because they are walking, breathing testaments of God's activity in this world. If we are Christians, his Holy Spirit indwells us and goes with us everywhere we go. And 1 Corinthians 6, 18 to 19 tells us to flee from sexual immorality because all other sins a person commits are outside the body. But whoever sins sexually sins against their own body. Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you've received from God? You are not your own. And so when we ask this question of how far is too far, we're really ignoring the power of God within us, the Holy Spirit, to convict us and point us and others towards him through our actions. Mm. Yeah. Because our physical purity begins not, it doesn't begin with a list of rules. It begins by inviting him to truly reside in our hearts. Mm-hmm. And so, yes, there will be practical physical boundaries. And yes, as a parent, you should have parameters on what behaviors are acceptable for your teenage, you know, students that may be in dating relationships. Mm -hmm. But if they don't have a personal relationship with Jesus, if they don't have the Holy Spirit governing, you know, their actions with a true relationship that's empowering them to live for Jesus, then it's just going to be a lifeless list of rules Mm. that becomes legalism. But if you can inspire a deeper love for Jesus and a true relationship with a God who wants the best for them, then rather than asking how far is too far, the question becomes how close to God can we be? Mm. How close to God can we be? How can we honor God with our relationship? You know, I've, I've often told people like when they want to get married, do you burn brighter for Jesus? I ask them that. Hmm. And I say, what convinced me to get married to my husband? And, and I knew from the way that Paul talks about this, the vocational calling of singleness and marriage, that when you get married, like that, that's a distraction. Mm. It's oftentimes a distraction in your work for the Lord. And so one of the things that I was, I was concerned with when my husband and I fell in love was like, does our passion for Jesus burn brighter when we're together? 
or do we extinguish that flame by hmm. getting so preoccupied in our own romance and our own love and our own earthly desires? And so I really only encourage relationships where they burn brighter for Jesus because they stoke each other's passion and flame for pursuing him, not just pursuing each other. And all this to say, you want a guy who doesn't just tolerate purity, but a man who actually encourages it. Yeah. And those are going to be the relationships that truly honor God with their physical boundaries. There's a story of a queen that we share with the students on our middle school and high school girls retreats. Should I share it now? Sure. Yeah, it's a good one. I think I drive this point home. Yeah, I think I first read it in a family life devotional somewhere. I, I don't remember the original source, but it goes like this. Centuries ago, there was a popular queen who was interviewing applicants to serve on a six-man team responsible for carrying her on a portable throne on long journeys. And as she interviewed each man, the queen asked, If you were bearing me along a mountain path, how close would you go to the edge of the cliff? Now, some men would answer, Well, your royal highness, I am so strong, I could go within a foot of the edge of a cliff. And others would boast, not only do I have superior strength, but I have almost perfect balance. I could go within six inches of the ledge. But a few declared, your highness, I would go nowhere near the edge of a cliff. Why would I want to imperil your valuable life by leading you so close to danger? Hmm. Guess who earned the job? You want to encourage the single men and women in your life to be in relationships that don't just tolerate purity, but encourage it. But don't ask the question, well, how far can we go Mm -hmm. to the edge of the cliff? Yeah. But how close to God can we be? Yeah, because whether you're phrasing that question or d- depending on which way you phrase that qu- that question, really reveals the status of your heart. And we may be able to fool others with an outward facade, and we might even be able to f- feel good about ourselves because we haven't technically had sex. We haven't technically, you know, crossed some sort of line that we may have created in our relationship. But God can see our hearts, and He cares deeply about what the motivation of our heart is. 1 Samuel 16, 7 tells us, But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not look at his appearance or at the height of his stature, because I have rejected him. For the Lord sees not as man sees. For man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. So depending on how we phrase that question, really reveals whether we're just tolerating some sort of standard of purity that we feel is imposed on us because we're Christians, or if we actually are seeking to honor God with our lives and actually cultivate a heart of purity. We've 
said this before and we'll say it again, people often confuse purity and virginity. We think that purity is a physical status, but it's not. It's a condition of our heart. And Jesus made sure that we knew that our actions were connected to our heart. In Matthew 15, 19 through 20, he says, For out of the heart comes evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, slander. These are what defile a person. But to eat with unwashed hands does not defile you. So some some physical, you know, just just action, because that's what's what the context of the verse was, was about eating with unclean hands. He was saying, what's in your heart is what <laughs> causes unclean things to come out of you. So looking at the story of the queen, we don't just want an attitude that tolerates purity. In fact, that often leads to compromises physically when we just have an attitude that tolerates. We we weaken in our resolve <laughs> yeah. because it's really just like built on, it, that's what it's built on, our own resolve, and we often weaken. We want an attitude that treasures purity. Mm. That is coming from a, a, a good heart, a heart that is aligning itself with what God desires. So don't just save yourself for marriage. Give your whole self to God. And with that, we end this week's episode on true love still waits. But we'll be talking again next week about some more practical implications of living out purity and what it means to um, dress modestly, guard your heart. And I think we're going to talk about lust a little bit too. So we'll see what we can fit into next week's episode. (laughs) Until then, know and be known.